Coastal, how are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're glad that you're with us. And as you see, man, there's some exciting things happening out at our Parkland property right now. we got the footers uh, poured. In fact, this week, they're going to start putting block up, so you're going to start to see some walls going up out there. I mean, uh, it's like, it's, get, it's going down for real right now. So uh, it, it's amazing to me. As I was driving over from my other campus, I was like, uh, a little over a year, a year and three months ago, we had just purchased this property. And the fact that we are like building right now is a miracle of God in and of itself. And so, man, I, I, I can't wait to see what God does in and through us this weekend through our immeasurably more offering later. Uh, but today, we're, we're, we're in the Christmas kind of spirit, in the Christmas kind of mood right now. And, uh, you know, it's been said that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. How many of y'all would agree that Christmas most wonderful time of the year? Okay, not very many. How many of y'all just like hate Christmas? Okay. A couple of people. Wow. There's some like honest people here. Fantastic. We're glad you're in church today. Uh, this is a good place to, to be honest. You know, a, a lot of people, they love this time of the year. They love all the gift giving. They love hanging out with family. They love going to all kinds of events that are happening around this season of the year. And while it's the most wonderful time of the year, I also know that it can also be the most stressful time of the year. Come on now. Anybody else kind of felt the stress of Christmas this year a little bit? I mean, there's gifts to be gotten. There's family that you're going to have to go spend time with that you would no other reason ever choose to spend time with them except for at the holidays. Let's just be honest. And, uh, you know, there's, there, there's drama that's going on. There, for a lot of people, there's more month than there is money when it comes to the December kind of Christmas season. And so what goes from one of the most wonderful times of the year can also become one of the most stressful times of the year. It can become one of the most anxious kind of times of the year. And for a lot of people, they come into this season, and this season for them isn't a season where they're, they're hopeful. It's actually a season where they're, they're very discouraged because they look at their life, and they look at their finances, and they say, man, if something doesn't change here, man, God, like if there isn't a miracle in this situation, I don't know what's going to happen. They look at their, the dynamics of their relationships and they go, man, if something miraculous doesn't happen here, I'm going to be in really, really big trouble. They look at, 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 at their career right now and they thought that they were going to be here at the end of 2017 and they're still down here and they go, man, if something doesn't change, like I don't know what's going to happen and they're looking for a miracle. And one of the things that I love about the Christmas season is that it's the epitome of miracle season. Because this is the, the time of the greatest miracle that God did. God sent his one and only son who is a miracle so that you and I could have life. And the thing that I know about God is that God wants to do a miracle in all of our lives this Christmas season. And, and this is what I know is that when there's a crisis or when it's stressful or when it's overwhelming... God wants to show up in those seasons and do something miraculous. And so today we're going to be looking at one of the most famous miracles that's out there in Mark chapter 6. If you want to turn in your Bibles there or look in your worship guide, all the notes will be on there. Or pay attention to the version app or look up at the screen. We're going to be looking at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And uh, it's probably one of the most famous miracle stories in all the Gospels. In fact, it's one of the only miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it was very, very significant to the disciples that experienced it. And so if it was so significant to them, it should probably 
it probably holds some significance to us and to where we are today. And the interesting thing is scholars say, you know, in the text it says the feeding of the 5,000, but scholars say that in, in, in Jewish culture, what they would do is they would only count men. And so while there were 5,000 men at this sermon on a Sunday morning, well, I don't know if it was a Sunday morning, I just to make that assumption, um, that, that really, in reality, there was twenty to 25,000 people when you count women and children amongst that crowd. And so Jesus does this miraculous miracle, and I believe that Jesus still does miracles today. And so if you want to turn with me, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 34, it says, Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And one of the things that, that I love about this is that Jesus looks out and he always has compassion. I love that we serve a God that is big enough to create the heavens and the earth, that's got everything within his hands, like the, the, the enormity of God is astronomical, but yet at the same time, the personal aspect of God is that he can look in your situation, in your life, in your circumstances and go, hey, I, I'm having compassion right here, right now, right where you are. Like, you're not just a number to me. You're just not part of the crowd. I see you. And it says, so he began teaching them many things, by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, say what? No, they didn't say that. They, they said, that's what I would say, but they said something different. They, the, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And so all of a sudden you see the problem start to arise in the story. You see the crisis start to happen. The problem is, is that it's Sunday and, and Jesus' chicken isn't available. Chick-fil-A is not open. And so they're, they're, they're getting hungry and they're like, man, J Jesus, Chick-fil-A is not open today. What are we going to do? Like we need to send them off and they can go to some Burger King or some other crappy restaurant that's far away. But like we don't have the availability to take care of the need. And so here's the problem. And I think a lot of us, we go through life and we're, we're going through and we're looking at everything. We're going, Jesus, here's the problem. And when there's a problem uh, you, and we need a miracle in our life, one of the interesting things, I didn't put this in your outline, but when it talks about the gifts from God, one of them is uh, the working of miracles, which means that there is some work that is involved for a miracle to take place in your life. A lot of us, we just, I want the instantaneous, but, but God says there's a working of miracles, which means that there's something that you and I have got to do. There's got to be some sort of contribution on our part to see the miracle happen. And so uh, there are some principles from this story that I think we can, we can glean, that we can apply to our life in this Christmas season to see the miracle take place in our life. And the first one is this, if you're taking notes, never assess difficulties in light of your resources. Never assess difficulties, never assess problems, never assess a crisis based on your own resources or ability. Uh, and, and they said in verse 38, man, Jesus, this would take eight months of a man's wages. In essence, they did a little cost analysis and they said, man, God, this, 
based on what we can come up with, we're depending on our resources. This is what it's going to take. And that is crazy, Jesus. And if you ever notice that when you start to assess things based on your resources, that's when your anxiety starts to rise a little bit. The stress starts to rise a little bit. The cortisol levels start getting pumped into your body. And, 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 and Pillsbury Doughboy rolls start uh, acquiring on the love handles. Some of y'all have acquired that. I've got, I've got them right here. Listen, I'm talking from experience, okay? Uh, and so, like, th- those things start to happen. Why? Because we start stressing in those moments. And, and let me just tell you something, church. If we prayed about the things as much as we stressed and thought about them, I believe that God would do a whole lot more miracles in our life. I think that God would show up a whole lot more if, if, we, would, if we would run to him rather than trying to figure it all out in our minds. But like so many of us, what do the disciples try to do? They look at their own resources. They look at their own ability. And in light of their own resources, they come to the conclusion, man, this is an impossible situation. And what's interesting is they leave Jesus out of the equation that they come up with. Kind of like what we do most of the time in our lives. We find ourselves in a crisis. We find ourselves in a problem. We find ourselves in a dilemma. And we go and we work as hard as we can. We grind mentally to figure it out as much as we can. And, and when we get to the end of ourselves, we kind of throw our hands up in the air and go, Jesus, if you're out there, I could use your help right now. Kind of as the last resort. And I don't know if you realize this, but The Bible is just loaded with situations where God sets up the situations where he's the only one that can intervene and provide. And maybe the situation that you're going through right now, there is no humanly possible way that you can get through that on your own because Jesus and God have set you up to be reliant on him. I start thinking about uh, the, the, the Israelites as they're traveling through the desert, as they're leaving Egypt on their way to the promised land. I, one of our worship leaders back in the day, he, he used to be in the military, and he was in the area of logistics. And so one day when I was studying that, I was thinking about two to three million people traveling through the desert. Like, how much food would it take to feed them for a day? And so I went to him one day. I was like, hey, Jonathan, like, listen, two to three million people, you did logistics in the military you got a pretty good idea of figuring this stuff out. How much food would it take to feed all these people? And after he, he got done figuring it out, he said, TJ, it would take between 11 and 12 million pounds of food to feed 2 to 3 million people a day. Think about that. And every single day, God provided enough for them to be full. They were not their resource. God was their source. One of the names of God is is El Shaddai, and it means all-powerful. And see, here's the problem we get into. A lot of times we, we go, man, I'm doing all that I can. And honestly, you're not doing all you can until you invite God into your situation. That's when you start doing all that you can. In Jude 24, 25, it says, And now, all glory to him who alone is God, who saves us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, splendor and majesty, all power and authority are his. And I just want to stop right there because I love that word, all powerful. It means God is not limited. 
God is the unlimited source of everything in life. And a lot of times we forget how powerful our God is that we serve. In fact, this week I was meeting with a, a guy, I have a, a monthly meeting with a business guy in our church, and we get together and we hang out at Starbucks, and, and we're, we're just going back and forth, sharing what God has been doing, what he's been up to in each one of our lives. And, and at the end of it, I, I asked the question I always ask, hey, what can I do for you? How can I be praying for you? And he said, listen, TJ, I'm in a huge dilemma. And I said, well, well tell me what I can do. And he said, listen, here's the deal. In the beginning of the year, you know, you talked about immeasurably more. We're going to have these special offerings throughout the year. Well, my wife and I, we committed to give a certain amount in every single one of those. It was pretty significant. And the first one was no problem. We had like $100,000 in the bank. And so it was really easy for us to do that. The second one was a little bit more trying. But, but I looked in my, our checking account for our business on Monday, and we had a negative $163. And he said, I'm committed that I don't care what it takes that I'm going to give that this weekend. And I go, well, man, I'll, I'll pray for you about that, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, like, we, left, we prayed there, and then they left, and, and, and I've been praying all week, and, and I put it on my calendar to call him at 5 o'clock on Friday, because I know God is kind of the God of, he likes to show up at, like, 4.59 when you need something by 5 o'clock. Have you, any of y'all ever noticed that? He's the God of 11.59. It's like, come on, can you do, like, 3.30 or something, you know, it's like, um, and so I, I, I have this on my phone to, to call him. Well, at 3.30, I get a text message from him. And, and what he said is, he said, TJ, on Monday, I had a negative $163 in my account. At the end of today, I, I received eight checks, and my account balance is $46,950. Absolutely incredible miracle. We forget how powerful and how big and how awesome and how great and all-knowing our God is. Check this out. The disciples forgot who was right there with them. This is the God that could have turned stones into bread that in the previous chapter had raised people from the dead and healed the blind. And they had forgotten at that moment because a lot of us, we miss a principle of God. And this isn't in your notes, but I just think it's good for you to realize this. God doesn't work in your life until you ask him to. Think about salvation. You don't experience salvation until you ask God for it, right? You don't, you don't experience your need being met until you ask him to provide. In fact, in Matthew 7, 7, it says, ask and it will be given unto you. In fact, one of the most common questions that Jesus asked when people would come to him is he would say, what do you want me to do? And the reason he asked that question is because he wanted to hear people ask him for something so they would get in the habit of knowing that they could ask their God for anything and he would show up and he would show off. And some of us need to be reminded of that, that we need to ask God to intervene in our situation, not as a last resort, but as the first thing to come into that moment. And then number two, what we got to remember is God does start with what I do have. God starts with what I do have. Verse 38, it says, How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Now, this is important because this is a question of responsibility. 
I mean, why did Jesus do this? Because, I mean, he's God. He could have just rained down manna from heaven like he had done uh, before for the Israelites. Why would he say, go see what you've already got? Because what he wants to do is he wants to use what's already within your possession. He wants to use the energy that you have. He wants to use the resources that you have. And he wants you to go and take those things and give it to him. See, we often wait for God to do for us what God wants to do through us. We often are waiting for God to do for our marriage what God wants to do through our marriage. We're often waiting for God to do for our finances what God wants to do through our finances. We're often waiting for God to do for our health what God wants to do through our health situation. We're often waiting for God to do for our business what God wants to do through our business. That's how God does for you. It's by operating through you. And when I started studying this passage of scripture in the previous stories, up to this point, Jesus had been doing everything. Jesus had been the sole source of everything that was happening in everybody's lives. He had been doing all the work. He taught the people. He, he healed the people. He raised the people from the dead. And, and the disciples, they were pretty much just walking around, twiddling their thumbs, doing nothing. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, hey, it's your turn now. And I think God would say to Coastal Community Church and would say to each one of us this time right now, he says, listen, it's your turn now. It's your turn to have your faith stretched. It's your turn to be tested. And I want to test you so that you know that I will be faithful to your situation. See, if his objective was just to feed the 5,000, he could have rained down chicken minis from Chick-fil-A on all the people. He could have taken care of it, and that would have been a good meal right there. Better than five loaves and two sardines. I'm telling you that right now. He could have, but his desire wasn't to feed the people. His desire was to stretch his disciples' faith. And I believe that God, honestly, is wanting to stretch your faith and he's wanting to stretch my faith. And we have an opportunity today with our immeasurably more offering where we're believing God for $300,000 for our next generation spaces. And, and I had a guy actually asked me this week, he said, Pastor Zita, do you, do you even think that's possible for our church? And I said, you know what I do? I, I believe that God, with God, it's possible, but it's going to take every single one of us. It's going to take everyone, every single one of us saying, hey, you know what, God, here's what I've got, and I want you to stretch me, and I want you to challenge me, and, and he's, he's saying, hey, I need all of you guys all in on this for me to do the miracle, because here's what you need to know. When God wants to do a miracle, he always uses people. He always uses people, and, 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 and that's why Jesus said, the miracles I've done, you're going to do greater ones. It wasn't just for the disciples. That was for you and I here today. But here's the thing. How can God do miracles unless we take responsibility for the situation? See, the disciples, they looked at the situation. They said, no, 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 that, send the people away. Man, I don't, like, don't want to have anything to do with that. That's not my job. It's not my problem. And I believe that some of you are on the verge of some breakthrough in your life. I believe that some of you are on the verge of God uh, intervening in your situation supernaturally. But it's going to take you going, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm going to take what I have, and I'm going to handle it. I'm going to do something uh, with what I have and let God use it through me so he can do something for me. 
In verse 6, he says, he asked this only to test them, for he already knew what he, had, what he was going to do. See, God knows the answer to your problem and to your crisis before you ever face it. God knows the answer to my problem and my crisis before I ever face it. Like nothing that you're going through today is he surprised by. He's not like, oh my gosh, you have a financial problem today? I never saw that coming. Oh my gosh, your mother-in-law is a pain in your rear? Never would have seen that. Like God knows. It's not a surprise. Circle the word test in that, in that passage. It says, to try whether it's done to learn by experience. I, I, have, a, I have a friend. Uh, his name is Nick Lowenda. Lo uh, maybe you've seen him on TV. He just, he just crossed across uh, the, the uh, Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Uh, he's, he's a part of the circus. His family's a circus family. He goes to my old church and and I was talking with Nick last time I was there, and, uh, and he was telling me about one of the first times he went and crossed, recently he crossed uh, uh, the Grand Canyon, uh, walked across it on a tightrope, you know, that's just crazy, I'm like, you're smoking crack, but anyways, he was like, hey, one of the first times I was doing one of these, I had people show up to this canyon that I'd stretch out, you know, the, the tight line across, and I was going to walk across it, and there was a crowd on each side, and he got up. And he's like, how many of you guys want to see me walk across this? And people are like, yeah, that's awesome. Come on, Nick, go do it. And so he walks the tight line. He, he gets all the way to the other side. And people are going nuts and they're going crazy. And he goes, how many of you want to see me walk it back across with somebody on my back? And people are like, yeah, come on, Nick, let's do it. He goes, okay, who's going to volunteer? Silence. Why? Because all of us want to experience the miracle. But we fail to realize there's a part for us to play in the miracle. God wants to do the impossible. But you've got to be willing to try. You've got to be willing to dive in to the crazy, ludicrous, outlandish thing that God is saying to do. And go, God, man, that looks impossible. But all right. I love what Mark 10, 27 said. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible. What seems impossible to us is easy to God. Number three, little is much with God. In the book of, of, of John, it tells one of the disciples, he found a little boy that had five loaves and two fish, and, and it says five barley loaves, but I like to think of the, the loaves as biscuits. Anybody else? Like, I just like biscuits way better than loaves. Anybody else a biscuit fan? Biscuit, like Cracker Barrel biscuits? Come on. Somebody, if you've been to Cracker Barrel and had a Cracker Barrel biscuit, raise your hand right now in the name of Jesus. There we go. We're getting some people up in here. Like, I, like nothing will change your life like a Cracker Barrel biscuit. And I, I'll tell you, I'm going I'm to I'm bless you right now. So go ahead and take notes. Okay, this is what you do. You go to Cracker Barrel, you order some biscuits. When those biscuits come to your table, you break them open. Right at the moment they come, 
You take a gob of butter, you put it on one side, you take out another gob of butter, you put it on the other side, you get honey, you drizzle honey all over it. Then you smack that puppy back together, cover it up, and let it warm up right there. And let that, that honey and butter like seep through the biscuit. So when you take a bite, it like just just like flows down your face and onto your clothes. Like it will change your life. Nothing to do with this message, but just will help you, okay? Verse, verse 9, it says, here's a boy with five biscuits and two small fish that were probably sardines, which is a terrible meal, but how far will they go among so many? You know, the, 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 the disciples looked at what they had, the research. They go, man, how is this, how is this even going to go anywhere? I mean, there's like 25,000 people here, and I'm sure in the midst of a crowd of twenty to 25,000 people, surely there was somebody that had a better lunch than that. Surely there was somebody that had a, a, a way bigger lunch than what this little boy had. But this little boy becomes the hero not because he brought the best meal. This little boy becomes the hero not because he had the biggest meal, but because the meal that he had, he said, God, I give you what I've got. And in your hands, you can do more than I ever could. It says in verse 11, Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. I want you to notice two things here. First one is this. What this little boy has is transferred to Jesus. He takes his five biscuits and his two sardines and he gives them to Jesus. He transfers them. They're no longer his ownership. And when he transfers those to Jesus, all of a sudden, number two, secondly, what he has is transformed by Jesus. See, when you give what you have, not only is it transferred to Jesus, but all of a sudden it becomes transformed by him. And I don't understand this. I'm not a scholar. I'm not a theologian. But, but Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus took the bread. He blessed it and he broke it. And as he gave it to his disciples, they, it just kept going. People were like taking biscuits and they're like one biscuit. And the dude takes like, like five because there's always some greedy people. And they're like, I said one biscuit. You know, we have five back there, okay? Uh, and they, they just kept multiplying. They just kept going. And the Bible says it fed everyone, in fact, to where there were a surplus, 12 basketfuls left over. What it tells me is that God likes to take the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. God loves to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. God can take some fish, and when we put it in Jesus' hands, he can turn it into a feast that can supply thousands of people. I think about what we're doing here right now. We, we meet in a school and, and with bricks and mortar and classrooms and uh, play props in the back and junk all over the place. And we come in here and, and we transfer this place to, into Jesus' hands. And, and as it goes into Jesus' hands, he helps us transform it into a place that can be called his house called Coastal Community Church. And it's an amazing thing. And Jesus takes an ordinary uh, Honestly, probably the dumbest guy in this room, I'm speaking about myself, it takes an ordinary dude. I'm serious. I have no degrees behind my name. I, you know, I, I, I love the woman, or, or not the women, <laughs> that was came out terrible. <laughs> I love the woman, Shayla. I'm just going to continue with that. Uh, 
I love the movie Pretty Women where she goes like, you must be really smart. And he goes, I went all the way. And I'm like, yeah, I went all the way to high school. You know, I didn't, I didn't go very far. And God can take that and do something extraordinary and build a church with multiple locations, building facilities, using some ordinary, not that smart of a guy, but man, he's good looking. Jesus name. Come on, somebody. That wasn't supposed to be funny right there. You guys are hurting my feelings this morning. But here's the deal, man. There's, there's churches meeting all over this place, all over Broward County today. And here's the difference. God's presence is in this place. The average church in America has 82 people showing up, and they see one person saved a year, maybe. There hasn't been a service in three years that we haven't seen one person give their life to Christ. God can take an ordinary place and do something extraordinary when we put it in his hands. Ephesians uh, 15 and 16 says, So be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Have you ever met somebody or seen somebody that just continually squanders opportunities? I know that all of us have experienced that. And this is what I know, that right here, right now, in this place, there are people that are going through marriage difficulties in their life, and they're, 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 they're waffling back and forth going, man, should I, should I go get in a connect group, a marriage connect group? And, and while they're waffling back and forth, wondering if they should, there's other people that have been diving in that were broken and hurting and are seeing their marriages restored and fulfilled and more love and passion than ever before. Not because they're special, but because they were available. There's people that are waffling back and forth, man, is this a good opportunity for me to start serving? You know, I've got a lot going on in my life, and as they're waffling back and forth, there's other people that are going, you know what, I, I'm just going to go and I'm going to dive in. And because they're diving in, they're becoming heroes to people that are finding Christ every single week, not because they're special, but because they're available. There's some of you that have been waffling, oh man, should I be a part of this immeasurably more offering? I don't really know. And while you're waffling back and forth, there's other people that are saying, hey, you know what? I'm all in because I want to reach the next generation and generations to come. And they're not special. They're just available. And God's going to use them to do incredible things. There's an old revivalist named Leonard Ravenhill. He says, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of that opportunity. Listen, you got one shot as Eminem said it. You got one shot to blow. Don't miss your opportunity, yo. Don't miss your opportunity, yo. Just like this little boy. Let's give what we have to God. And let him take it and use it for this Kairos moment. That's, that's a favorable moment of God. And number four, remember, Jesus always satisfies. Verse 42 and 43, it says, they all ate and were satisfied. Everybody say, Satisfied. And all the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. I, I just always like to think about this story. I think about this kid coming home, and he's going to be like, Ma, you're never going to believe what happened today. She's like, what? And he like brings all these bags of food, and she's like, did you rob the bakery? No, Ma, I took the, the, the biscuits and the fish, and I gave them to Jesus, and he multiplied them. And that mom's like, uh-huh, yeah, right. Uh, I've heard this one before. And Scooby-Doo was there with you too, huh? No, it's... And he's like, no, mom, he fed 25,000 people. And mom, these are just the leftovers. And the family was satisfied. 
And I would ask you today, what area of your life are you not satisfied with? What area of your life is there some dissatisfaction happening within you? Is it in the area of time? I would submit to you that you're probably not giving time to God then. Is it in the area of your finances? I would submit to you then you're probably not putting God first in your finances. Does it have to do with relationships and you're probably not giving that area, the relational area of your life to God because whatever you totally give to God, he takes and he transforms and he multiplies it and he gives it back to you better than before. That's how God set up the world. He can't break his principles. And it's, it's a principle he set up. It's called sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, whatever you give in life, you're going to reap in life. And so if you're out there criticizing, you know what you're going to get back in life? You're going to get back criticism. If you're out there giving encouragement, you know what you're going to get back in your life? All of a sudden, there's going to be encouragement coming your way. If you give away your time to help other people, all of a sudden, you're going to start to see all this time. You're like, where did this come from? I don't even understand how I have this abundance of time. It doesn't matter what it's money or reputation or relationships, whatever it is. Why? Because God wants to teach all of us to be a giver. You can't be like God unless you learn to be generous. For God so loved the world that he gave. We look most like God when we give. Here's another principle. Here's the back half of that. You always get back more. You always reap back more than you sowed. So if you're out there sowing criticism, man, it just seems like everybody in this world is critical of you. If you're out there and you're, you're, you're throwing some judgment there, it seems like everybody sipped on the haterade and they are judging you like crazy. If you were to take a kernel of corn and you were to plant that in the ground, what you would get back is not a kernel of corn. What you would get back if you planted a kernel of corn is a corn stalk. And on that corn stalk would be many ears of corn. And on those many ears of corn would be hundreds, if not thousands, of kernels of corn. Why? Because you always get back more than you put in. And honestly, that's what Christmas is all about. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He sent his son for us. He invested. He sowed his son. So what? So he could reap a relationship with you and I. So we could reap sons and daughters all over the world. It's a principle that God applied himself. Luke 6, 38, it says, if you give, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. This is what's interesting to me as I guarantee that little boy was hungry. But by giving Jesus what he had, he ate just like everybody else and was satisfied with way more than what he ever expected. And I think the story of the feeding of the thousands of people is very appropriate for us as a church coastal. Because we live in an area where 97.3% of this area is unchurched. They are spiritually hungry. And God has said to us as a church, to us as a congregation, to us as a family, you feed them. 
He's saying to every single one of us, listen, I want you to feed them. I want you to take care of them. And it's really easy for us to go, but God, how in the world could we possibly do that? Like that is a crazy ask. And I want to tell you right now, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in Parkland right now that, that God is going to allow us to feed, that is setting us up to care for and meet the spiritual needs of that community like never before. And, co and Jesus is looking at them with compassion, and he's looking to us as his disciples, as his community, as his believers, and he's saying, hey, coastal disciples, you feed them. And I know some of you are going, but, but I'm hungry right now. I got needs myself. And he's saying, listen, you take care of them, and I guarantee you'll be satisfied in life. Pressed down, shaken, more than you can handle. Church, I don't want to be a place that ever says, God, send them away. It's not my responsibility. I believe God is giving us that responsibility. That's an honor that he would trust us. And a lot of us think that we're insignificant. And in and of ourselves, we are. But with God, we're more than enough. We're more than enough. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me today?